has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To wow. save the old oh, man. Clearly, he hasn't read the Torah. <laughs> Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his home. Well, we're right. Don't you complain. I mean, you're the one who kept stopping for lunch and morning tea and rest breaks and dessert and... <sighs> I'm sorry, I know this was important to you. Hang on. Levi, if you're afraid of heights, raise your hand. <laughs> what? Yay! Ivy! Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do Friend, your sins are forgiven. Forgiving sins? Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. Get up, take your mat, and go home. wondered what was going through that paralytic's mind when his friends came to him and said, hey, we'd like to uh, walk you uh, to the next town over because there's this dude named Jesus and he's like healing people and stuff. And so uh, what do you say? <laughs> you think like maybe he had like fear? Maybe for the first time in a long time, like a tinge of hope. You ever think about what was going through the friends' minds as they carried their buddy to see Jesus? Like, will Jesus heal him? Can Jesus actually heal him? The kind of risk that it actually took, because quite honestly, like, this is a small town. They would have been known. A bit of a risk to their reputation. Are these... Weirdos that now follow Jesus. And like when they get there and find that there's like zero room. And so the risk that it would have been to start ripping a roof off of somebody's house, like that's insane. If you have your Bibles today, I'd love you to open up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 is actually where we find this story taking place. What I'd like to do this morning as you guys are turning there is uh, we're going to really kind of engage in three little movements. The first is I'd like to just walk us through the text. This is a story that we find in Luke chapter 5, and uh, I want to break it up into kind of three 
kind of parts to see what's going on in the story. And then after that, I'd like to share another story with you that I hope will help us understand how this ancient story that took place 2,000 years ago, why it still matters today. And then after that, I'd just like to give us three thoughts real briefly, okay? It's a really simple morning. Hang with me, though, because I believe God may have you here because there's something he wants to say to you individually, whether you're 12 or 24 or 40-ish. Luke chapter 5, start there. Verse 17. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Hang on to that. We'll come back to that a little bit later. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. How do you lower somebody through a roof? You ever thought about that? So it's interesting because Luke tells us that this all takes place in a town in the northern part of Israel called Capernaum. And uh, because of archaeology, we know what the vast majority of homes around this time in Capernaum would have been made with. Uh, it was actually kind of a mix of reeds and straw with a clay that once it baked in the sun was almost as hard as concrete. Not quite, but very, very hard, okay? It was the kind of thing that would have probably been fairly thick so that it could handle the weight. They would often use the roof for like drying things. Sometimes it would even be uh, an extra little room up there. The friends go up onto the roof and they've got to make a hole big enough to lower their friend down into. Now Luke says that there was tiles that they removed. We don't know for sure. Uh, we know that Luke was writing to a Greek audience, to, to those in Rome, where most of the homes in that area that Luke was writing to would have been made with tiles on the roof. Uh, in Capernaum, we don't think there were very many homes that were actually made with tiles. Uh, so we don't know if Luke's just trying to like explain the story in a way that his readers can understand, or if maybe, possibly, there was a large house there that actually did have these kind of uh, Roman tiles that would have been pretty different from most of the stuff around there. Either way, they got to do some serious damage to this house. Now, to have a house that is big enough to hold all the people that are there meant that whoever's house it was, was rolling in it, all right? They were like filthy rich. Like this had to have been like some dog's house, all right? Like this thing was like no joke. And for you to have the kind of risk uh, that it would take to say, you know what? We're going to rip tiles off of or rip a hole in the roof to do this. Like that was a big, big deal. No small undertaking. And the friends showed something really, really amazing. In fact, we read it in the next verse, verse 20. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, uh, this is kind of the crux of the whole story. These friends, 
They have a buddy. That we don't know the backstory. We don't know if, like, this was a kid that, like, they used to run and play with. They kind of grew up in the same town together, and some sort of an accident happened, and he was left paralyzed. Maybe he was born that way. Maybe it happened later on. We're not real sure, but these friends, they love their buddy so much that they're willing to risk, like, their reputation and everything else, even ripping somebody's roof off so that they can get him to Jesus because they thought Jesus was the only hope that he had. They had a faith that was amazing and unbelievable and shocked the people around and caused Jesus to act. It was their faith. Uh, In fact, um, N.T. Wright, he's a really famous theologian, he, he says this, he says, Jesus saw their resourcefulness in opening up the roof tiles and letting them down as a sign that they really believed God was at work and that all this effort would be worthwhile. Again and again, Jesus makes a connection between faith and the power of God. Over and over in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is making this connection between faith and the power of God. Now, if you grew up in church, like I did, not only have you probably heard this story before, but the idea of faith as like something that we're supposed to grow in or something that we're supposed to possess, like we're like, yeah, we get it, been there, done that, heard that before. But have you ever actually stopped to ask yourself, how do I get that kind of faith? Like, how do I grow in that? Because nobody's really just born with it, right? Especially the older we get, right? The more life we experience, the more it seems like things don't work out in the way that we wish that they worked out or would hope that they worked out. We start asking, like, man, is this faith thing, like, real? Like, I got, like, this much But we know God wants us to have like this much, at least (laughs) a mustard seed anyway. How do we grow our faith? How do we have that kind of faith? Because it's faith that actually gets God to show off his power. Keep reading with me, though. We read in verse 21, it says, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, uh, this is the first time that Luke actually introduces the Pharisees to us, okay? So up until this time, we don't know who these people are exactly. This is how Luke kind of introduces them. And it's interesting. So there's some things that are actually going on here. Uh, Luke introduces us to the Pharisees, and they have come from all over Israel to find him. There's a little map. I want to show that real quick. So you'll see at the top, it says Galilee in like red and the white box, all right? At the bottom, it shows you Judea, all right? Jerusalem's kind of in that like brown uh, Judean area. And in the text, it says that these Pharisees, they've come from all over. So we're talking the south, the north, uh, Jerusalem, which is where like the big dogs, like the really important Pharisees would have like hung out and stayed, like they were the really important. So they've all come to this small town in Galilee. So just under Galilee, there's a couple of towns right there. Capernaum is one of those. It doesn't really matter. Just know that they've all come from all over the place, and they're there for a reason. The reason that they're there is they're checking out this Jesus dude, this young prophet that they've heard about. Why? Because Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. Now, the Pharisees, that was their territory, all right? 
That was their domain. You didn't get to talk about the kingdom of God without getting their stamp of approval. So they're there to check out and find out. They've heard about this dude, like he's doing some crazy cool stuff. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Are we going to let him into our club? Is he going to be a part of us? Are we going to give him a stamp of approval? So they're there to listen to him, to check him out, to see what he's saying. Now, the Pharisees thought that the way that you get the kingdom of God to come was by strict adherence to the law. If I live out the law, if I do it perfectly better, if I get more people to do it, if I get everybody to get on board and say, we're going to go hard after this and work really, really hard, they thought that they could kind of force God's hand. If I do it all correctly, then I can kind of make God bring the kingdom. And they wanted the kingdom to come because they thought that when the kingdom came, God would like destroy all the other nations and they would get to rule with him. All right, so it's kind of like ulterior motives. It wasn't just that they wanted the kingdom to come, they wanted to rule with God. And so they're there to check out Jesus and be like, hey, this is how the kingdom works. Do it our way. All right. And if you do it our way, then God's going to do what he is said he's going to do. And we're going to rule with him. The problem was Jesus in this moment forgives the man's sins. Did you catch that? I talked about the faith part, but you know what Jesus does when he sees their faith? What does he do? He forgives the man's sins. Doggone it. Why, man? I came to get healed, bro. Like, I don't want my, like, my, that's nice, Jesus. All right, that's cool and all, but like, just let me walk again. If I'm the, if I'm the paralyzed man, all right, first of all, I'm probably really embarrassed because like everybody's looking at me. My friends ripped a hole in the roof, all right, but they're still up there. <laughs> I'm the one down here in front of everybody, right? And I'm hoping beyond hope that maybe Jesus will just heal me, right? If he could just do that. And Jesus looks at him and he looks at the men. And he says, because of your faith, son, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus wants to give him something that's an even better gift than simply healing. Well, if you're like me, I'm kind of like, yeah, but the healing, like that's the cool thing, right? Like that's the thing that's going to make everybody go, wow. But Jesus wants to give him something better. You see, the better thing was a relationship with God that would go on into eternity. Uh, truth is, the paralyzed man died. Now, we know, we'll keep reading, God heals him. But the healing was temporary. The forgiveness of sins led into eternity. Uh, Jesus does something that nobody other than God is allowed to do. And the Pharisees know it, and they're ticked off. In fact, they start grumbling and thinking things in their head. In the video, it shows them talking out loud. But in the text, it actually says, they thought it in their head. Who the heck is this dude? How dare he? Don't go around forgiving. You can't forgive somebody's sins, Jesus. Only God can do that. That can only happen at the temple. You're neither God and we're not at the temple. That's what they're trying to say. We keep reading. Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? You see, Jesus asks the question, which one's harder? Which one, which one is more difficult, to forgive somebody's sins or to say, get up and walk? Now, uh, we would probably answer, well, to have somebody get up and walk, right? But Jesus is answering his own question as he asks it. 
The obvious answer is it's obviously harder to forgive somebody's sins because only God can do that. But to show you that I have the power to do that, I'm actually going to also tell the man to take up his mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man, verse 24, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, homie. Roll up your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. The Pharisees are not excited because Jesus is showing that the kingdom of God doesn't simply come through strict adherence. That it's not by being better, by being more perfect, by holding on to the law and doing it just so well, right? That's not how you activate God's power. You see, they wanted to see God's power, but they wanted to see God's power on their terms for their purposes. That's what they were interested in. And it came with being good by doing the right things. And Jesus instead says, no, 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 no. It's not about how good you are. It's about the kind of faith that you display. Will you trust that I am who I say that I am? And it was because of the faith that actually led the, uh, God to actually exercise and activate his power. You see, Jesus showed that it's not politics. It's not power. It's not promises or performance. It's not pressure on God or perfection that will actually activate God's power. It's faith. It's simple faith. It's active faith. That's what gets God to move. Now, I'm not telling you that you can then say, well, I have faith, therefore God has to do X, Y, or Z. But what I am telling you is there is a connection to the faith that we display and how God moves. I can't quantify it. It's not a one plus one equals two. It's not some formula that you plug and play. But there is something connected to the faith that we display and God's willingness to activate his power. Faith in our minds, though, so often is like it's just a thought. It's something we have up here, okay? When we talk about faith a lot of times, uh, we often almost use a kind of a concept of like, it's wishful thinking, right? Like, I just really believe it's going to do it. But the kind of faith that the Bible talks about is actually an active faith. It's a faith that, that not only believes it, but then shows it by how they live, by what they do, by how they spend their life and their money and their time and their resources and all that they have. That's the kind of, it's like, I believe God can do this and I'll show it. The four men had active faith. The friends had an active faith. They didn't just believe it in their heads. They're saying, we believe it. We're going to pick homeboy up. We're going to walk into the next town. We'll rip a roof off if we need to. Let me tell you another story that I think will hopefully illustrate why this still matters today. Uh, this is a picture of Elmer and Lenora Burgefield. It's the only picture I have of them. Um, Elmer was born in, uh, I think, 1896. Uh, he passed away in 1959. Uh, Lenora, she was uh, born in 1903. They were married in uh, 1924. She was 21. He was 27. They actually had a farm, a uh, family farm that Elmer had uh, kind of worked with uh, his father in Arcola, Illinois, a small little town in southern Illinois. Uh, they loved Jesus. They had had a relationship with Jesus for a long time, and it showed in the way that they lived, in their community. In the early 1930s, uh, there was a knock on the door, and it was from um, this guy. Uh, his name was Bliss. That was his wife, Edna. Uh, they were about 
10 years younger, 13 years younger than Elmer and Lenora. Bliss uh, knocked on the door because he didn't really have uh, a job, to be honest, and he needed to take care of his young family. And so what he was doing was asking to see if it might be possible for him to rent a small home that was on the property and a small amount of acreage to farm. And then the proceeds that came from that, uh, then he would use to pay rent, uh, to lease the, the, the land. Elmer and Lenora wanted to pray about it. The house was sitting empty. They did have quite a bit of land to farm, but they could actually handle it themselves. They didn't need someone to really help them with it. But they also loved Jesus and knew that times were tough for this young family. At the time, uh, listen, I think they had one kid, maybe one on the way. And so they prayed about it, and they felt like God was saying, I want you to take a risk. And so they did. They said, yes, we, we will let you do this. Now, uh, the reason that it was a risk is uh, really related to Bliss. It was a small town. Everybody knows each other. Uh, Bliss was a hard worker. He was known as a hard worker, but he was also known as a guy who was fairly walled off. Um, to understand uh, why, uh, got to go back into Bliss's history just a little bit. When Bliss was born, his mother died two hours after giving birth to him. She named him, and then she passed away two hours later. Uh, Bliss's father was, um, had some struggles with alcohol and uh, was so devastated that his wife had died um, that his sadness turned to rage, and he blamed his newborn son for her death and disowned him and wouldn't take him home from the hospital, just left. So uh, Bliss, whose mother had just died and had a father who had just disowned him, had nowhere to go, so one of his aunts, his mother's sister, who had just had a baby, decided to take him home. So she wet-nursed him until he was about six, eight months old, and then she had other kids that she needed to care for, so then she passed Bliss off to his maternal grandparents, who then raised him, but they were pretty old themselves, and so then he kind of got passed off to another set of uh, an aunt and an uncle, uh, who then also kind of cared for him, and then when he was 14 years old, um, he wound up actually moving out of his aunt and uncle's place uh, to live by himself in the back of an egg hatchery. He had a small room back there. Uh, the people that owned the hatchery allowed him to work uh, for his keep in the evenings. He went to school during the day, and then they would make sure that he had some breakfast and that he had some dinner. And he was basically on his own from the time he was 14 until this season. So what Bliss had kind of learned in his young life is um, you can't count on people. They're not reliable, and so you just got to do it yourself and figure it out yourself. Never even met his dad, even though his dad only lived a couple miles away. Never met him until he was eight years old, and even then didn't even know that he was his dad. Uh, Elmer and Lenora, they didn't know the whole story, but they knew enough of the story. Uh, a guy like that's a little bit of a risk. But they felt like God was asking them to take it, so they did. Uh, Elmer and Lenora loved Jesus, and so uh, when they offered the land to Bliss and his wife, Edna, they, they said, would you guys like to come to church with us? Um, Bliss didn't have a very high view of God as a father uh, because he didn't have a very high view of his own father. And so as nicely as he could, because he certainly didn't want to ruffle feathers, right? These are the people that just uh, loaned you some land. They said, uh, thanks, but no thanks, not right now. 
Now, Elmer and Lenora, they, they could have really kind of forced the issue, right? Like, hey, well, we did just kind of loan you a house and some land, so you really need to come to church. But they didn't do that. Instead, they started a guerrilla war of love campaign. So what they would do is uh, just care for them. They brought the meals. This is just at the very beginning of the Great Depression. It's starting to take hold. Uh, this young family, Bliss and Edna, they, they had young kids. They didn't have any money. They didn't have a way to even pay for things. And so they just started loving on them. Elmer and Lenora started loving on them. They would fill Bliss's uh, overall pockets when they were out on the clothesline with fruit. They would sometimes put a little piece of hard candy in the kids' pockets when they were hanging on the clothesline. Uh, this is an awesome thing that I heard uh, that Lenora would do. She would sneak over to the clothesline at night when it was dark, and she would find clothes that were starting to like uh, get holes in them or rips, uh, and Bliss and Edna couldn't afford new clothes, so they just had to work with what they had. And she would take them off the clothesline, bring them home, and she would sew up patches on the clothes and then bring it back, put it back on the clothesline. Uh, Bliss and Edna knew exactly who was doing it, all right, but Elmer and Lenora wouldn't say a thing. And over the months and even year or two, they continue every once in a while to say, hey, we'd love it. If you'd, if you'd ever love to come to church, we'd love to have you. Well, Edna couldn't stand it anymore. She knew that Bliss didn't want to go, but she just saw the love of Christ in this couple. And she said, you know what? I'd like to go. And so one day when Elmer and Lenora asked, she said yes. And then Bliss was like, dang it. Because <laughs> he had to go, right? He came to send his wife and kids and not show up. And so he trudgingly went to church, a few months passed by, and Edna saw the love of Jesus. And as she heard the gospel message, she just knew in her heart of hearts that that was what she had been looking for her whole life, and she gave her life to Jesus. And it was just a couple of months later that Bliss felt the exact same thing. He could no longer deny that there was a God who loved him and cared for him, who was way better than his earthly father. And so he gave his life to Jesus, all because of this couple, Elmer and Lenora, who are willing to take a risk and not give up. Even when they said no, they wouldn't stop loving. Even when they said no, they wouldn't stop inviting. They continued on. So there's three things that I just want to close with that I think are important for us to get from these two stories. The first is this, the fertilizer of faith is risk. The fertilizer of faith is risk. If you want to grow in your faith, you have to take risks. It's as simple as that. The story in Luke doesn't happen unless those four friends take multiple risks. Bliss and Edna don't become followers of Jesus unless Elmer and Lenora take multiple risks. Faith will not grow unless you are willing to take a risk. I promise you that. I get it. Some of y'all are like, yeah, but like, I like to have my life kind of figured out, planned out. Like I got this and this and this, and I don't want anything to change. Like I just like how it goes and it's working pretty well for me. That's fine. That's good. But I promise you this, you're not going to see amazing stories like that in your life. You'll go through and you'll have a very safe life and you'll get to the end of it and everybody will show up at your funeral and they will say, she kept a really clean house. That's an actual quote from a funeral that my wife went to. That was the nicest thing they could say about her. She kept a really clean house. Is that what you want at your funeral? The fertilizer of faith 
is risk. Number two, your kids are watching. We had child dedications this morning, so this feels very apropos. Some of you are like, I don't even have kids. Awesome. You probably will one day. Some of you, you may never have kids, but here's what I can tell you. There are all kinds of people that are watching your life to see if what you say about Jesus is actually real. Does it make a hill being a difference that you call yourself a Christian? You see, the reason that I know Elmer and Lenora's story is because I know Lloyd Burgefield. Barely met him, actually met his wife Phyllis a little bit more. Talked to Phyllis a few days ago, actually. Uh, Lloyd is Elmer and Lenora's son. Elmer and Lenora showed that they had faith because it was active. It showed in their lives, the way that they took risks, the way that they loved and cared. And that got passed down to Lloyd, who also loved Jesus. And he and Phyllis had an active faith that got passed down to Don Burgefield, who I talked to yesterday, who still loves Jesus. And Don has passed that on to his kids because of an active faith that started back with Elmer and Lenora that said, you know what, whatever it takes, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going at it. Our kids are watching. The people around you are watching. If you want to pass on the faith to the generations coming up behind, then, friends, we have to have an active faith. Like, it's got to show. It can't just be something we talk about. It's got to show in how we live our lives. The third thing, the first invite is for you. The first invite is for you. Active faith is an invitation for you to be a part of an amazing story. See, the first invite was actually for the four friends. It was the four friends that actually had to say yes to an invitation to believe that God could do something amazing for their friends. If the four friends don't say yes to that first invitation, then their paralyzed buddy never experiences the forgiveness of his sins and the story of being healed by Jesus. The first invite is for you. If Elmer and Lenora didn't say yes to what God was asking them to do, taking a risk to lease some land to this other couple, continuing to invite them, continuing to love on them, the story never happens. The first invite is for you. You want to know why I'm talking about uh, this couple from Arcola, Illinois? Uh, A thing that happened uh, almost 100 years ago? Why you know the name now, Elmer and Lenora? The reason that I am telling you this story is because Bliss and Edna are my grandparents. You see, if Elmer and Lenora don't take a risk, if they don't love on this couple, if they don't invite them to church and continue to invite them, if they don't love on them in active, real ways, then my grandparents never find Jesus, and I'm not here. Elmer and Lenora accepted the first invite, and because of that, it transformed my grandparents and generations coming behind them. I have an active faith because of Elmer and Lenora's active faith. And friends, I want a stinking church that has stories like this 100 years from now. I want some person standing on a stage to say, oh my goodness, there's this church, it's called the local church. Weird name, doesn't make sense, does it? And everybody's like, yeah, that is weird. Yeah, but there was a couple there that they kept inviting my great-grandparents. And my grandparents, my great-grandparents, they didn't want to come, but eventually they said yes. They came to Easter in 2021, 100 years ago. And they met Jesus, and everything changed. And because of that, I'm standing here today. Friends, that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. But that only happens when we take the first invite. When we say, we'll take a risk. We'll grow our faith. 
We won't give up even if a roof has to get torn off. Even if we keep getting no's, we won't give up. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church that I believe Jesus wants to see because that kind of faith he loves to partner with. (laughs) Clap for Jesus, amen. All right, so here's what I just want us to do. Just close your eyes right now. And uh, I simply want to ask us two questions as we, as we finish. How much risk are you willing to take to see God activate his power? How much risk are you willing to take to see God activate his power? Just, just I, sit with Jesus right now. Like God's with you right here in this space. Scale of one to ten. You can't. Baloney God, how much? A two, a six, a 10? Talk to God, what's your number? The second question I want you to ask God right now, you're sitting there, God's, God's in your heart, in your mind, talking to you. Who will you take that risk for? Who will you take that risk for? What, what, what face is God putting in your mind right now? What name is coming to your mind? Just let, that, let those faces or that name come. And if God's given you somebody that you need to take a risk for, then I just want you to talk to God and just just start asking, God, give me the opportunity. Look, I get that next week is spring break. Some of y'all won't even be here on Easter Sunday. The risk or the, the, the invite, the risk that he might be asking you to take isn't necessarily just for next week. For many of you it is, but for some of you it might be for the week after, the week after that, or maybe they say no this first time and you're going to have to continue to invite. You're going to have to continue to take risk, continue to love on them. Friends, that's the kind of church, though, that we want to be about. So who's that person or persons? Could be a neighbor, co-worker, someone in your family. Maybe somebody that doesn't even live in GR, would never step foot in a door, but they might accept an invite to watch a service online together. Father God, we want to be a church that takes our faith and God partners with your power because we believe. We believe that you can change people's lives. God, I believe because I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in my grandparents' lives and how that got passed down to me. Jesus, I want to be a part of those stories. God, I want us to be a part of those stories. You can change a life. You have been, you are, and we want to see more of that. So God, would you grow our faith Give us opportunities to take risk for your sake. It's in your name we pray all these beautiful things. In your powerful name, the name of Jesus Christ, amen.